BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. If you're looking for the most epic place on Earth... Let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes in a Nissan Pathfinder, search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Your teen requested a ride, but this time, not from you. It's through their Uber Teen account. You probably drive your teenager around. A lot. They have gymnastics club, science club, rec soccer club, school soccer club, club soccer club, and three-hour clarinet club on Saturday night. Perfect. Now, with an Uber Teen account, you can be there even when you can't. It's an Uber account that allows your teen to request a ride under your supervision. They ride with a highly rated driver. And with live trip tracking, you can follow along the whole ride. Thank you. Add your teen to your Uber account today. See app for details. Welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. We're coming to you from Rio this week with the Verticals Michael Lee and I do an autopsy on USA Basketball's gold medal winning run. And we talk about where Carmelo Anthony ranks among the greatest USA basketball players of all time. All right, let's go. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host... Chris Mannix. All right, another episode, Vertical Podcast. Chris Mannix here with uh, Michael Lee, who is wrapping up his Olympics coverage, gold medal game. Mike, how many Olympics is this for you? This is number three, but this is actually be number two that I end, uh, you know, standing upright instead of a, in a hospital bed. So, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, hospital bed, hospital bed. Uh, you know, this was. Uh, a weird Olympics for me because it wasn't just about covering the games. It was really kind of personal because in 2008, you know, it always stays with me. The, the gold medal game against Spain, which people say is one of the greatest games ever. I spent the entire second quarter uh, doubled over in a, in a toilet because <laughs> uh, I came down with uh, a really bad illness um, just from China in general. There was a lot of bad food, bad water, bad air, you know, 
a lot of things just combined to where my system had completely shut down and uh, my body shut down. So I uh, wound up in the second quarter, Mark Spears, uh, I told him I wasn't feeling well and he came to come check on me and uh, I was just really weak and I couldn't move and he helped uh, carry me to a stretcher. I wound up going to the hospital and uh, it was amazing because I was totally conscious of what was going on and I kept thinking, okay, well, I'm sure I can get back by the end of the game. You know, I'm still thinking I can cover the game. And I remember I had passed out and uh, I, they put me in the hospital and i am got wires and all these things on me. And I wake up and everybody looks at me and they say, how you doing? And I remember the first thing I said was, what's the score? Because <laughs> in my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to jump right back in. You know, I'm fine. I'll be able to jump right back and, and get there for the end because in 08, I felt like I was had something snatched away from me because I had covered the entire team in two I had covered the 04 team that lost in Athens. And I had covered the 07 FIBA Americas team that qualified. So I was like really invested in seeing this whole thing completed. So when I got sick, I was angry, but I still felt like I could get it done. I still felt like I, I just gotta get back. You know, I, I already know everything about this team. I can write the story. But, you know, they wouldn't let me leave the hospital. So, <laughs> And now you only have a embarrassing story to tell. <laughs> did, did you really fall on your ass at a press conference? I did. I did. I, I wanted to provide a little uh, comic relief for everyone in there. You know, they're getting a little too serious, asking these sappy questions to, you know, mellow about his last Olympics and Coach K. And I, and I was like, it's not that's true, of course. It's, it's getting a little too sad in here. So what happened? Oh, man. Well, actually, I was I was trying to get get a question in and I didn't get called for a question. And uh, I wanted to pack up and, and get going. So I reached for my bag. And as I reached for my bag, man, a little flimsy chair gave on me. I wound up falling on my butt. And I'm looking up, and I see uh, Mello and, uh, and KD just dying on the podium laughing. And, uh, you know, so I served my purpose. I was able to help, you know, bring some joy to NBA All-Stars. And, uh, you know, so I sat there. Everybody's looking at me like I may have collapsed and died again like I did in, in, You've got a rep. in China. I do have a reputation. And uh, so I just gave him a thumbs up and slowly got up. And uh, fortunately, uh, I'm fine. And, and Durant and uh, Melo came back. Uh, gave me a good little ribbon on the way out. And uh, they checked on me to make sure I was okay. But uh, I give everybody a thumbs up. I'm good. All right. So they're in a good mood because, you know, third straight – USA basketball gold medal. And how did we get here, Mike? I mean, a week ago, it was panic mode. We were at level nine, level nine and a half, talking about disbanding this team. I hear people calling for college kids. How did we get here a week later? And now we're talking about a gold medal. It was amazing, you know, because like you said, last week, they barely beat Serbia. Serbia lost on a last second shot. You know, they could have tied it, sent it to overtime. And everyone's like, hold up. This team is not what we thought it was going to be. And then right after that, you figure, okay, they're going to wake up. And then they play a really close game against France. And then, you know, it gets to be money time. And then all of a sudden, you know, Kevin Durant sort of starts putting his imprint on the team. I think that that is kind of what, what had to happen because he had been so passive, you know, in the, in the games that were really close against Australia and, uh, and Serbia and France. He just was kind of there, but not really there. But he put his imprint on that game against Argentina. Defensively, you know, Coach K finally made the adjustment of, you know, putting DeAndre Jordan in the starting lineup and, you know, bringing Paul George and Jimmy Butler playing together so they can harass the guards and force turnovers and get out on the break because they just had such an incredible advantage athletically. They had the depth advantage. You figure if you just press a team and, and run them, you're going to 
you know, impose your will and you're going to win. And it took them five games to sort of figure it out. I just think it's amazing that the last three games of pool play, they won by a combined 16. And then the last three games of this entire Olympics, they won, they quadrupled that separation and won by 64. So it's just like they had to go through some growth and figure it out. And you can't underestimate the fact that they had only been together for a month. And Coach K had only dealt with half of the guys on the team. They had 10 new Olympians. So it was, it, it all had to come together, but you know, they got the gold and that's really all they wanted to do. And they got it. It, it was impressive because, you know, when I saw a possible matchup with Spain, yeah. a possible matchup with the winner of Australia, Serbia, before the Serbs blew them out, I, I could see a loss there. I mean, I wouldn't have predicted it, but I could see a loss yeah. in that mix. I mean, is it just, was there anything strategically that they did or was it just the rotations that, that Coach K found out? Well, the rotations, I think, was the key um, because I think throughout the, the first couple of games, you know, you're sitting there watching and you're wondering why are they having five offensive players out yeah. there on the floor together? You got to have somebody out there who doesn't care about shots, who just wants to do every, the little things. They put DeAndre in there and all of a sudden you have a balanced floor now. You know, um, you, know you don't have to worry about trying to feed DeMarcus Cousins inside. You know, you just, Coach K doesn't really love throwing the ball inside much, does he? <laughs> That's just not his thing. No, nah, it never really has been. And, no. you know, but – but it works, though, if Boogie's coming off the bench and then he can just abuse second unit guys, which is what happened, as long as he's not getting foul trouble. You what know? was he like this month? Was he happy, Boogie? He was great. Was he? Oh, man, he, he was fantastic. See, that feeds into my theory that you put DeMarcus Cousins on a winning team. Yeah. It's worth the risk. I if you think, trade, if you yes. get him, he's not going to be this no, wacky he, guy he was his, his frustration is all rooted in, in you know losing. I mean, he, he hates losing, and he can't handle it well. He can't hide it. Uh, but I think the greatest example of, of his maturity here is that he fouled out of two games and like was in foul trouble the entire, uh, you know, I, I, I said he was going to get the, uh, the Tim Duncan FIBA sucks participation trophy after this because all he did was just collect silly fouls or maybe he was getting abused and he would react and he'd get fouls. But you know what you never saw? You never saw him overreact. You never saw him get in the ref's face and yell and go crazy and go berserk, which is what we routinely see in the NBA. He's leading the league in techs all the time. And he kept his cool, but they were winning, you know. So even though he had one game where he fouled out in nine minutes, didn't raise a fit, just sat down and let DeAndre finish. And I, I think that it's proof that if you put him in a winning environment and a winning culture, he's going to look good and he's going to not be this malcontent, you know. I think the environment he's been in Sacramento has sort of, you know, encouraged <laughs> a little – bad side of boogie but this you got that's to very see. diplomatic because i would have said it's, <laughs> it's poisoned the well absolutely yeah i mean to come say, on yeah. yeah but i mean even after the how uh, many coaches has he played for at this point like almost Five. one a year almost right <laughs> he's had one almost one, one every a different one every year but i i think that here you know just being around these guys and uh and having a chance to just have some fun i mean i, I think the, the the image i'll always carry from these olympics when it, as it relates to boogie or demarcus cousins is that when <laughs> they opened a ceremony, you know, uh, I think uh, De- DeMar DeRozan was like filming a selfie with uh, Kyle uh, Lowry. And then <laughs> Boogie starts coming behind him and starts doing a little dance, doing a little samba dance right behind him. You know, so like he was in good spirits. He wanted a chance to win. And, you know, for a lot of these guys who've never won anything, never won championships, you know, being a part of a gold medal winning team, that, that could change your reputation. It could allow people to see you as, as a winner. We've seen it all, uh, all the time with Carmelo, you know, for all the criticism that he gets during the NBA season with the Knicks. You put him on Team USA. He's international mellow. He's, now he's the most 
you know, decorated men's basketball player ever with three gold medals. He's the all-time U.S. leading scorer, now the all-time U.S. rebounder. And you I know, love that, putting him back in the game to get yeah. that rebound. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and, and Coach K is praising his leadership. You know, uh, Jim Behan's praising his leadership. Jerry Colangelo's praising his leadership. And the players have this respect for him, you know, and I think for a lot of them being around him, you know, they get to see what he's about. And it's just amazing how you can have basically an entire career and be defined in two different ways, just being in Team USA and then being in the NBA. I thought Clay Thompson for a while was going to take that Tim Duncan Award, the FIBA Sucks <laughs> Award, because I don't know what it was, but the first week, it's you know, it looks like the three-point line's uncomfortable. It looks like the ball isn't comfortable leaving his hands. Something was going on with him that first week. It, it was fixed, but yeah. uh, early on, it looked like he was a mess. He was out of rhythm. Um, I, I mean... You know, you figured it would sort of be the same situation in Golden State where he just gets the ball. He had open looks. He had open looks, but he forced a lot of shots, too. It was, I think, the fact that they didn't have the kind of ball movement that he's used to. A lot of times he'd be like, okay, well, I haven't touched it in a while. I got to put it up because I don't know when I'm going to get it again. And it sort of seemed to be the way things had been going. It was like, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. And everybody was going one-on-one. There was no cohesion. And and the only, the assist was just one pass. It was like one pass that led to the three. But it wasn't like a lot of passes that led to the open shot where you got the defense, you know, um, the defense didn't have to move. And I think you could, you know, talking to some of the other teams, like they all recognized the U.S. was not playing well. Like they just said, they're not playing well. And you don't often hear other teams just openly say the U.S. isn't playing well. But they always had the thing, they have the most talent. So even though they were struggling, I don't think anybody felt that they really had a chance to beat them. They just knew that if they could catch them when they were slipping, that maybe they could luck up with a win. But the U.S. got it together at the right time. And this was not a great field that the U.S. team all. went against. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a C-level field. It was, and I think that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, coming in, I thought this was just the last three games were kind of indicative of what I thought the whole tournament would be. They just blow out these teams and, and wouldn't really be challenged because the field just wasn't there. Argentina's getting older. How know. is it possible that Argentina's gone 14 years with this group and developed nobody behind them? Like, how is there not a second <laughs> generation to replace the golden generation? It's one of the great sports mysteries. I know I know it's not big basketball in Argentina. There's other sports, namely soccer, soccer. Yeah. in Argentina. But, my God, these guys came along in, like, 2 They yeah. were these baby-faced kids yeah. kicking the crap out of the U.S. team in Indianapolis. Absolutely. And you had, you know, like a guy like Manu who would just be, you know, it's totally um, a role model for guys. Absolutely. I mean, if you see him winning four championships with the Spurs and he's just uh, one in the Hall of Fame, you know, a lock. And like you said, there was, what, eight, seven pros off of that 2014 oh, yeah. that won a gold medal. Um, and you just figure, okay, there's going to be a pipeline eventually. And now it's sort of like it's all on Campazzo, the point guard, who looked pretty good. But good player. He's not going to be, you know, seen as a great player. No. Um, but, I mean, you also – I think it's, it's sort of this whole thing with international hoops in general because I remember, you know, 10 years after the Dream Team, you had Yao Ming in the league. And, you know, he's the first, you know, non-U.S. and in, in trained, you know, number one pick from another country. And you're thinking, wow, either it's going to lead to some more great players coming from overseas – or you're going to see more players from China. But now you have E, Jianlian, and, and really nobody else that's really come into the league since then. And it's just really, there hasn't been no Chinese pipeline. So you see how special a Yao is. Dirk, I mean, you know, it's taken a while for uh, Dennis Schroeder to, to get over here from Germany. There's really no German pipeline, considering how great he is. You know, even with Spain, you know, they've had a great generation as well with the Gasol brothers. And then, you know, Ricky Rubio's kind of, 
be the guy to lead the next wave, but there hasn't really been... Who is the next wave that, there? That there's no wave with, with Spain. So when you look at this field, it was like, okay, France has got a lot of talent, but they're not playing well as a That was team. pathetic. That, how France played in this tournament was pathetic. Was they, really, they should have been the co-favorite after the U.S. team. With all the NBA guys there, the young, prime, had, absolutely. Nicholas Batum just got you know, his max deal with uh, Charlotte, you know, Boris, you know, Tony's playing, you know, his last one. You know. Gobert in the middle. Oh, my gosh. I thought that they were going to be right there with him. But once they got, you know, throttled by our, um, Australia right away, I was like, I don't know if these guys really want to come here and play. You know, they were definitely easily the biggest disappointment of this entire tournament because they, they, then when they get to the, the quarters, Spain just runs them off the court. And I thought Tony gave the best line of the entire Olympics when he said, you know, I felt like Spain was the Spurs and I was on the other side because they just ran a clinic, just ball movement. And they but they also didn't compete. And the only time they came to play was against the U.S. And I think that was the fact that that was the one time they really came to play. That sort of made me a little worried about the U.S. because they struggled with them. And Tony didn't even play the entire game. And under the Colo sat the second half. So I had some concerns about where the U.S. was going. But it's amazing to see the turnaround and how, you know, these guys were nervous. They, they, you could sense the vulnerability with them. You could hear it in Paul George. You know, you know, he was easily, for media guys, he was easily the guy who was, I mean, him and him, Melo, Durant, they were so stand-up, but he was so open and frank. Like, he would say, you know, we're winning because we have talent or we're not playing as a team right now. And he was just laying it out there for us what the problems were. And I think that... You know, having a chance to just, you know, reflect on some of their struggles. Um, I think one of the more underrated uh, things that happened, you know, that kind of helped turn it around was, you know, once, once they, they barely beat France and everybody's sort of in panic mode about where the team is, Krzyzewski uh, gave them a day off and a lot of guys went to the beach and they played beach volleyball. And I, I felt like it could have been viewed one way or another. If they lose, everybody's like, look at these guys. They don't take it seriously. They came here on vacation. They're drinking coconut water and playing beach volleyball. Like, they don't even care. Or you could say they just needed to get their mind off of basketball and just unwind and just relax. And the day after, everyone said, you know, that's what we needed. We needed to just kind of just remove that stress, remove, you know, the weight of, you know, having to win and having to dominate and having to be this perfect team. And, uh, and you saw a difference in, in how they went out and performed. I just, I was just really, I think that, you know, if they lose, we, we pounce on them, but since they win, we can look at that as sort of a turning point. For them. I thought they really missed Chris Paul oh, in yeah. this tournament. And, and look, LeBron is the best player in the world. Don't get me wrong, yep. but having that floor general out there, that on court leader, I thought that was lacking. I mean, Kyrie is special in his own way. Yeah. Kyle Lowry, the same thing, but Chris Paul with his Olympic experience and with his just natural skill set that is playmaker first, scorer second. Yeah. I thought they really missed him out there. Yeah, they just needed somebody who could calm them down. Um, you know, when teams got when things got rough. You know, I remember during one stretch, I'd ask uh, Durant when they were struggling. It's like, who's the guy that you guys look to to calm you down, settle you down when you know situations like get a little rattled? And he's like, uh, Coach K. You know, Coach K is going to be the guy. You know, he's going to be the guy to encourage us and, and push us. And I found it interesting, you know, because a lot of times on the floor, you need somebody else who's going to say, hey, OK, I hear you, coach, but I'm, I'm running things on the floor. We're going to get it settled. And, you know, Chris, you know, he wasn't here and he obviously is one of the best leaders, you know, in the league. And he would have been able to just say, OK, forget this. 
I'm going to make sure KD's going to get shots right now. Okay, I'm going to make sure Melo gets shots right now. Or, you know, or I'm going to attack my, my guy on defense. I'm going to get a steal. We're going to get a break. Hey, DJ, here comes the lob. And, uh, you know, like I said, Kyrie's special in his own way. He's, he's and one of the great one-on-one players in the game. He's a phenomenal scorer, and he's clutch. I mean, he proved that in the finals. And he also proved it in the game against Australia. You know, when it's money time, he's going to be the guy to take and make the big shot. But in terms of, you know, running a team, that's, that's where he's lacking. You know, LeBron is the guy that's going to play that role on the Cavaliers, and he knows it. He knows that Kyrie's a special scorer. You know, he, I always like to say he likes to put the point in point guard. Uh, but in terms of leading the team, you know, I also thought a player who could have helped too, um, obviously we could go down the list, LeBron. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought that James Harden, uh, to be honest with you, I thought he could have used this experience in a lot of ways. Because if you look at that 2014 World Cup team, uh, Kyrie got the MVP. But I thought James Harden was a consistent best player throughout that tournament because he always found a way to hit the shot, make the play, that could, you know, silence any rallies from the opposing team. And he's a playmaker, and he's a facilitator. He could do so many things on the floor. And uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure exactly why he chose not to be here um, this summer, but I thought it would have been good for him, you know, in, in terms of image building and also building off of, you know, playing for, you know, um, your international teams. The benefits just – it's amazing you look at the benefits because after that World Cup team, Harden is right there in the mix for MVP. Steph Curry was on that team, wins the MVP. You know, um, if you look down the list over time, the guys who play and participate in Team USA, the next year, that guy's going to be the MVP. You can, go, you can start from 2007 with the uh, FIBA World Cup. You had, uh, um, I mean, the FIBA, the FIBA Americas, Kobe won MVP. 2008, LeBron won MVP. You know, 2010, Derrick Rose won MVP. You go to 2012, LeBron won MVP. 2014, Seth Curry wins MVP. And now you get to 2016. It'd be interesting to see who wins MVP next year. The way Durant looked, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, I know people may want to hold it against him that he's playing on, a, on maybe a super team now, but he'd probably be my favorite going into 2017, you know, to win MVP because he's going to go into training camp fresh. He's going to go in, you know, you know in shape. And uh, he's probably going to be angry and a little upset about uh, being cast as a villain. Uh, so it's, I'm interested to see how he uses this experience next year. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. And now a word from Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts out of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash Mannix. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. What was this three-week stretch like for Durant? Because, you know, coming into it, it was it was all negative mostly. Yeah. You, know, it's, you know, Durant's a hard guy to really 
for a lot of people to really smack that hard. He's not the villain per se. Yeah. He's just too nice a guy. And yeah. He's in, you know, he's hard enough to criticize in that way, but it was mostly negative. It was, especially after Russell signed his new deal, it became, well, Durant's a quitter and you know, Russ is yeah. staying with the team. He's going to stick it through and, and, and be with his guys. What was this, this month like for, for Durant? Not just, not just being here, but also being here with two guys in, in Thompson and, and, uh, yeah, and Draymond. I think, you know, it was, I think one of the players who was here that probably is a little underrated, his presence is DeAndre Jordan. Um, I didn't realize how close these guys were and what their relationship was like, but, you know, he told me that, you know, he's his best friend in the league. And, you know, if he had a wedding, you know, today that DeAndre would be in it. And I think, you know, working out with him, you know, hanging out with Melo, being around Draymond and, uh, and Clay Thompson, just being around guys in general. Um, he actually told me that this was therapy for him because he expected a reaction. He didn't know it would be as negative as it would be in terms of him just picking a team and all of a sudden it becomes a character assassination. He needed it, too, because if he wasn't doing this, he'd still be working out, but he'd be on Twitter. He'd be, like, looking at his mentions. He'd, yeah, right. he'd be, I really believe he'd be wrapped up in, in some of this stuff and you know, not questioning his decision, but too worried about the outside noise. Being here, I think... You know, I think he's dead on. I mean, he knows himself obviously more, but yeah. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's being focus. genuine there. I it think- gave him something to focus on. It gave him something to, a goal to set. You know, uh, again, you know, he came off a really tough loss, um, you know, game six and game seven against Golden State uh, in the Western Conference Finals. And then, of course, he's vilified for joining the team that beat him. And then you come here and it's like, okay, now I get a chance to get a gold medal. And I think it's really, you know, for like the guys, the Warriors guys that were here that, you know, lost, you know, in the finals, blew a 3-1 lead, getting a gold medal is sort of a way to, you know, not, you're not going to make up for it because you, that was a ring they probably should have had yeah. and they blew it. Uh, but this sort of softens the landing a little bit, you know, going into the next season, they, you know, Draymond and, and Clay have gold medals now. But, you know, for Durant, I think it meant a lot, too, that the last, two of the last three games he was able to really – uh, you know, let remind people just how special he is as a player. And that, you know, while people think that him being on a team with all-stars, he might, he might not fit, he can fit in just about any system. And not only can he fit, he probably can stand out in any system. And I, I think the, the thing that was fun, too, is, like, he pulled up from, you know, from, like, 35 feet, you know, for one of, these, one of the threes he took. And I'm just like – I think he's tuning up to play horse with uh, Steph Curry, you know, because playing Serbia doesn't matter now. He's got to get ready to, to go shoot around with Steph. I think that's, that's going to be fun to see those two guys play together. And uh, they might even have a horse competition during the game. You know, that's what I'm waiting on. Let's talk about Carmelo. Three gold medals now. A bronze medal from 2004. All sorts of, of individual records, one of which he eclipsed at the end of the game uh, today. <laughs> I think he's the greatest U.S. player ever. I know there's... David Robinson is on some people's list. Michael Jordan, who was part of the 84 team and that 1992 team. Certainly strong argument that can be made. I, I lean toward Mike. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> LeBron, he's got to be in the conversation as well. But I just think the, for the totality of it, yeah. for being part of every team since 2004. Yeah, I mean, he's dedicated. And even coming back this year when all of his yeah. peers decided to pass on it, Add that to the statistics, that, for my money, makes him the greatest U.S. player ever. I mean, yeah, you, you got to think about the commitment that you have to make. I mean, this is 12 years now that he's committed to being a part of USAB, and nobody else has made that kind of sacrifice. I mean, to be, you know, on four Olympic teams, a world championship team, and a FIBA Americas team, qualifying team, 
I mean, that's a lot of summers dedicated to winning basketball. And, uh, and I think that I talked to him about it a little bit and just what this experience has meant for him. And you think about some of the mistakes he made early in his career, you know, with the, the stop snitching video, he had a couple of DUIs, you know, things that a young guy kind of goes through in the league. And he had to take a lot of hits early on. Um, but USA Basketball kind of saved him in a lot of ways because it just provided that shelter where he could come here, no pressure. I mean, that's one good thing about being a part of this is that, I mean, you, you have pressure to win a gold. I mean, if you fail, you're going to be, you know, embarrassed, you know, forever. Like the 2004 team is always re- mentioned as the team that, that didn't get it done. But he could come here, he could be around his buddies, and he could really form friendships that, that really last. I mean, you think about the Banana Boat crew with LeBron and uh, Chris and, and Dwayne Wade, you know, they had to, they got together in 06, you know, they committed to this and they lost in Japan. And uh, uh, Shashevsky made a reference to it after that loss to Greece. You know, Carmelo is right there during a press conference, you know, not making any excuses, you know, saying that, you know, he wants to get back and he wants to, you know, get it right. They come back with the redeemed team. They get it done. They come back in 2012. And think about this. He came off the bench in 2012 and had a 37-point game in 14 minutes. You know, so he sacrificed a lot. He sacrificed his time, sacrificed, you know, his body. But I think also – he took, a, he took a back seat in 2012 so that Durant could be the starter, and he came off the bench, played a role, and played it well. And now he's got a chance. He's, he's got three rings. I mean, three, three, not rings, three medals. And he told me uh, that he wouldn't trade these medals, trade any of these medals for a ring um, because he, he understands the value of being a part of this program and his influence on the program. So say what you will about his NBA career for what – He's done in being a part of USA Basketball and helping to restore America's place, you know, America's supremacy, you know, in this sport. You have to give him, you have to tip your hat to him. And I think that, you know, uh, that's, that's something he can always hang his hat on if he, if he retires without a championship. You know, I think that he's assured a Hall of Fame, you know, career because he has these gold medals. He has the NCAA championship. He has the nine all-star appearances. He has the scoring champion. Ship. Um, and for, you know, failures in the NBA, I think some people can overlook it. I mean, fans are going to be fans. They're going to be hard on them. They're going to be critical. Um, but I think overall, he can look back at this part of his career and say, I did something special. He, he was probably a borderline Hall of Fame player or on track to be a borderline Hall of Fame player without the Olympic experience. I think with it, he's a lock. Yeah, I really do. Because you got the Syracuse. It's the yeah. Basketball Hall of Fame. People yes. sometimes get that confused. It's not the NBA Hall of Fame. Yeah. It's the Basketball Hall of Fame. So Carmelo being the guy on that Syracuse team, Carmelo, what he did in the NBA individually, and what he's done on the Olympic stage, he, he's a mortal lock, and, to and my opinion. And he's such a different type of player here because, you know, for all, you know, like I said, he gets a lot of criticism because in the NBA, he's asked to do so much more. He's asked to create for himself. He's asked to put the ball on the floor and, and dominate the ball for several minutes or whatever. Here, it's just catch and shoot. You know, somebody's going to penetrate, drive, and find him in the corner. He's going to score. He doesn't hold the ball very long. He probably, you know, needs about five seconds or less and it's coming up. You know, either may take one dribble and shoot, but it's not like it is in New York or even in Denver where. He had to do a whole lot just to get his shot off because he's getting double teams. What double teams is he facing here? You know, yeah. uh, and that's that's the that's I think he's thrived on. It. And he told me uh, the other day that one of the things about 
being around the best players is that he knew he had to elevate his game if he was going to be, um, you know, separate himself or, be, you know, stand out. And he's done that. And, uh, and I mentioned uh, the impact that uh, Team uh, USA basketball has had on individual players' careers. Look at, look at Melo's track, too, and how participating in this has helped his team. You know, in, in um, 2006, after that, he wound up making his first all-star team. In 2008, at the year after that, he leads the Nuggets to the conference finals for the only time in his career. 2012, he comes back. The Knicks all of a sudden win the first division title in 19 years. So who knows what the Knicks are going to be in 2016. Maybe Derrick Rose is right. Maybe super this team. is a super team. Super team. <laughs> I, look, the, the image of Carmelo Anthony is indelibly changed as a result of these last three Olympic cycles. I mean, if he didn't have this experience, he would just kind of be – you know, it's it's not to insult a Charles Barkley, but he's this generation's kind of Charles Barkley, this you know producer who just can never seem to get a ring. Now Charles had more playoff success, obviously, yeah. than than Carmelo Finals. did. But this MVP. that, of course. Uh, but the, this is the guy that put up numbers and didn't get you know get yeah. that that ultimate prize. Being here though, he's a winner. You know, here three straight times, three straight cycles, he is a winner. Yeah, he is a and, world champion. And he could look at LeBron and Chris and say. I got three gold medals. Where's yeah. yours? Yeah. You know, and LeBron. I, I doubt got, he's saying And LeBron said, I got three rings, buddy. What you got? Uh, yeah. I don't no, think I he's mean, saying that. I mean, you know, the guys talk a little smack to each other. You know, yeah. you got to be able to say something. <laughs> yeah. But do you, I mean, I really think that now people look at, at Carmelo a little bit differently. Now, you know, the Olympic experience kind of, the glow of it wears off after a month or so. And it then does. everybody's back focused on the long NBA season. And what are you doing in the playoffs? But, you know, I think on some level, however small it may be, his the perception of him has is, is changed in, you know, forever. Yeah, I hope for him it does because I, I think that a lot of times people don't appreciate what, how good a player is. And they, we get so caught up in the rings and like your only value is if you have rings. And, and appreciate, and, too, what he has to work with and what he has to deal with. Yeah. I mean, in New York, for the longest time, he, he didn't he, have – No point no, guard. No, I was going to say competence in terms of <laughs> uh, the, the people that yeah, were – Building you know, the team. LeBron and, had Pat Riley for a lot of years. And yeah. Pat Riley – is you know one of the best executives in basketball. The Knicks, there's been just all this so kind of turnover, turnover from coaching, coaching to yeah. I mean, they they gutted the team to get him. You know when they acquired him in 2011, and they stripped it down again. And while they he was they there. keep changing it on the fly. I mean, it's the circumstances have been difficult. Now he he's contributed in some ways to of it course. because he hasn't always been the the greatest teammate on the floor to play with. But you know, I I look at the you know the situation he's in, and if he had the exact same type of support as LeBron James had from Miami on, where would Carmelo be? Yeah, or if he had a Dwayne Wade and a Chris, Chris Bosh to play yeah. with. I mean, obviously. Uh, you know, all the talk about he should have been on that team before Bosch did. He could have, maybe he could have have a ring now. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think the uh, one thing that, that he said to me interesting t- too is uh, how, you know, how close he is with uh, Bron and Wade and, uh, and, and Chris, but how competitive they are, you know, and how they are able to, you know, step on the floor and just go at it, you know, with each other, but know that, you know, their friendship is really what matters to them more than anything. And I think we get caught up as fans wanting our players to hate each other and we want rivalries. We want guys, we want blood wars just out there on the court. Um, but I think that, you know, they have a understanding that, you know, we're going to compete, you know, and I don't think anybody can question the games they play. They go at each other. Um, but once they're off the floor, you know, there's a brotherhood there that, that just can't be, you know, denied. And I think it's something that we all had to get used to, you know, something that we all had to learn to appreciate because we didn't understand it. You know, when LeBron decided to go play with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, I didn't get it. I didn't understand why he would do that. 
But, you know, this Team USA experience, they felt they formed that bond. They formed that connection. And they were like, I want to I want to be with this guy playing with him all the time because I know it's going to work out. And we see it now with Durant joining the Warriors, you know, before he playing with, you know, Steph Curry and uh, Andre Iguodala in 2010, you know, they, they connected, you know, and that that led, led to, you know, the greatest your greatest free agent, you know, uh, move since LeBron, you know, occurring. And a lot of that's because of Team uh, USA Basketball. I can't wait, you know, three years from now to read the backstory about who moved where because of what happened in 2016. Like, it's you know, DeAndre talking to Kyrie Irving. Like, you know what, man? We should really team up someday. Yeah. You know, when I'm done in L.A. or when, I, when LeBron leaves Cleveland again, <laughs> I'm going to go join up with you. I'm waiting to hear that that backstory. Because you're right. That's what we heard back in the early days of of this USA basketball run with Melo and, and Chris and and LeBron. These guys talked about the possibility of, of one day playing together, and they used their free agency uh, to do it. Yeah, because I remember in 08, um, LeBron had given this great speech before they went off to training camp. Uh, they, get, they brought everybody into Vegas and the, and the uh, hotel, and, uh, and LeBron stood up and basically said, you know, you know any, anybody that's ever had a complaint about what their team doesn't have, you don't have that complaint anymore. You know, you, man, you don't have a point guard. You got Chris Paul now. You know, you got Kobe Bryant now. If you ever worry about somebody who can't score on your team, like whatever flaws you may have on your team, none of that's existing right now. And, you know, it was like this great speech that really set the tone for that redeemed team. And, uh, and I think guys, you know, really started to appreciate each other. And, and the friendships they formed on this team in particular, like it's really unique. You know, DeAndre Jordan – uh, had the entire team, you know, over to his house when they uh, were in Houston. They brought, you know, everybody over. You know, his mom, you know, cooked a little bit. She had a couple little food, was catered. And uh, he's got a Draymond Green at his house. And you know the history with the Warriors and some of the things Draymond said about Doc Rivers and mm-hmm. just their, their, their rivalry. And he's like, I never, six months ago, I never would have thought I'd have Draymond Green in my house, you know. And now he's like, I got a friend. I got a friend for life now. And, you know, Again, you know, people will look at this, this situation and be like, how in the world are they going to be friends? And how is this rivalry going to play out on the court? Um, but I think, you know, talking to like Jimmy and some of the other guys on the team, they feel like, and Draymond, that, you know, the level of um, play is going to be intensified now because they are friends. They talk to each other. And you always want to be able to say a little something to, to your buddy, you know, to, to rib him a little bit and let him know, yeah, well, I got you on, I got you on this night. So I think – we're going to see probably more intense games, you know, when the Warriors and the Clippers get together now because these guys actually know each other. So what's the, the future now for USA basketball? Because, you know, this is the third gold medal. It was a little bit tougher than, than maybe they would have liked, especially early on. Did this Jerry Colangelo with Greg Popovich <laughs> coming on board, does he have to do anything different? Does he have to, yeah. to tweak things any at all before the 2020 Olympics begin? He, he will, and uh, uh, he, he spoke about it, you know, immediately after the gold medal game, that they're going to have to make sure that they don't come to another Olympics with 10 new guys uh, or six new guys altogether. I mean, you know, they want to make sure that there's some continuity with the program and making sure that, you know, guys that commit can commit, you know, two to, two, at least two summers in a row, you know, so we're – you're not just you have a you have a big pool, which is what they've done. They've been able to establish a pool, and all the guys want to be a part of it because it's that's a status symbol now. In the past, everybody's like, "Man, I don't really want to do that. I want my summer to myself. I want to be with my family. I want a vacation. I want to do, you know." But now it's like you're offended if you're not on the pool. Like you're angry. Like, oh, what? It's like almost like like an all-star selection now, and guys want to be a part of it. 
Um, so I think that, you know, when Pop comes on board, you know, next summer, you know, and then they get ready for the Worlds in uh, 2019, um, they want to make sure that, you know, that some of the guys that, you know, invested in the program this year will be back. And then they got to qualify for the Olympics in 2020. So, um, you know, having that group come right back in 2020, I think that's what's going to be special um, because, um, you know, guys aren't going to just show up. You know, guys are going to have to invest time to make sure that, um, that, 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 that they have, you know, content. it won't be like the 04 team, you know, where they went and qualified in Puerto Rico in 03 and then nobody showed up because they all just, you know, got hangnails and mm-hmm. everything else they did. Oh, well, so I was going to ask you because can you, can you stop guys, like take Kyrie Irving, for example. You know, he's young enough to want to be part of the team again in 2020, but, you know, for the sake of argument, and I think this is a reality, he's going to be playing deep into the playoffs for the next few years. Probably. Is he going to want to be part of a qualifying tournament in a couple of years? Is he, not, is he going to want what LeBron had this summer, just a summer to himself, take it off and, and relax? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that'll and be if he does, what do you do? That's the whole thing because you do. I agree with you 100. Yeah. percent I think you need to have, tell these guys you've got to be part of the team for at least you know the world championship, the summer after, and then the Olympics because they are always going to be susceptible defensively to teams that run complex offenses. Because the only way you can learn defense or or at least become a great defensive team is playing together. These yeah. guys had four guys on one of the top two all defensive teams in the NBA. They had the best NBA basketball defensive mind in. Tom Thibodeau on the sideline and they still look lost out there <laughs> yeah, at times and the only way they, that can get better is if they play together I mean do you, is, is there a, a hard line in the sand that Jerry Colangelo can draw there or what's the solution can because I think they know that these guys are making a sacrifice you know but you want to just uh, maybe provide some incentive in some other ways I mean I know that you know, mentioned Kyrie you know, he will have a shoe deal. So if Nike's still in charge, I'm sure they will want to make sure he's here or in Tokyo to make sure they can sell the next Kyrie, you know, Kyrie shoe. New market. Uh, yeah, you got to market. You know, that's what this is all about. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, two of their signature athletes are, are here, you know, selling a shoe. And then, they get, you know, so, you know, KD has his shoe. And, you know, so I think that, that plays a role. You know, have, maybe have the, uh, the corporate guys, you know, give them a little nudge. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, overall, just I don't know if there's anything he can do other than just try to talk to guys and convince them to do it. Uh, but it really is something that they're going to have to do. And I think we talked about Melo being special. That's the thing. Like, he decided to do this. You know, LeBron decided to do this. Chris Paul decided to do this. Those guys committed to just coming back and coming back and coming back and, uh, you know, and sacrificing their summers uh, for USAB. And you just hope that you have a, another generation of athletes who looks at that and says, I want to do that too. And I think so far that's kind of what's happened. They're building a program and guys want to be a part of it. And you just hope that there, there's some turn, you know, some guys come back. You know, it's, it's interesting because I'm wondering where the next wave, what the next wave of talent is with the U.S. I mean, you got Anthony Davis, you know, obviously as being, you know, one of the new faces coming up. But, like, who are going to be those younger guys now who are, like, 21, 22? Like, is there a superstar there in the making that's coming up that will be there in four years? Because you think about it, Kevin Durant's going to be 31, you know, in 2020. I'm sure he'll probably try to give it a go again. But, you know, most of these guys, you know, Clay Thompson, you know, they're going to be a little older, you know, going forward. And so you're going to have to, you know, add in some new guys, Kawhi Leonard, you know, you figure with Popovich around, that, that should be locked a lock. in. Locked in. <laughs> that he'll be a part of the team. And uh, it'd be interesting to see how he fits in an international system. Um, you know, it, 
it's going to be intriguing, but I think the main thing is if you look around the world, there aren't there's Ser- Serbia is going to be around probably in the future because they have a nice young young squad. Uh, Lithuania should be around going forward. Canada, you think at some point is going well? To- I'll tell you what. Who scares me? It's Australia. And I was about to ask because they're really scary. Because four years from now, what does Ben Simmons look like? What does Dante Exum look like? Potentially, does Thon Maker look like if he goes as the ability to play for them? Because if I'm Jerry Colangelo, I get my core players or the guys I want in like a group text. <laughs> and every time that Dante Exum goes for like 18 and 12, or if Ben Simmons has a triple double, or yeah. if Thon Maker in year three you know, develops into a Giannis type of, of player, I'm letting everyone know that this is happening. Because those guys, and I, Bo gets a little bit older, but maybe he can come back for one more side because he was the heart and soul. Yeah, and I think that the way they lost in the uh, bronze game, yeah. I think a lot of those guys are going to be so furious that they probably want to come back. Yeah. Like a probably not. Mills. Well, Patty's a little bit older now. I mean, isn't he's he? 20, he's the same age as Durant. Yeah, okay. Um, maybe he can come back for yeah. another one. So he might want to come back for one. Deladova might want to yeah. come back. But I, I think that some of the guys are older, but I think for the most part, you add those new pieces with some of these veteran pieces. It, it, it's, I think Australia is the team you got to look, look at going forward. I, I'm still waiting on Canada because I, I think they have a lot of talent in the league. They could be like France where they just have so much talent, but it just doesn't come together. Yeah, you got to want to play in this, uh, this thing yeah, too. Yeah, and right now we, I'm still waiting on Wiggins. You know, because you know, I mentioned, you know, Carl Anthony Towns now already committed to the Dominican Republic. Yeah. So it'd be nice if you could just add him to yeah. the mix, but he's not going to be in the mix. And it's, it's, it's crazy that when, when are we going to have another American-born number one pick? You know, we've been waiting for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, man. That's it. My thanks to Michael Lee for joining the show. As always, you can download this podcast and other archive podcasts on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, check out the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Redick and the Vertical Podcast with Woj. We'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. Your teen requested a ride, but this time, not from you. It's through their Uber teen account. You probably drive your teenager around a lot. They have gymnastics club, science club, rec soccer club, school soccer club, club soccer club, and three-hour clarinet club on Saturday night. Perfect. Now, with an Uber teen account, you can be there even when you can't. It's an Uber account that allows your teen to request a ride under your supervision. They ride with a highly rated driver. And with live trip tracking, you can follow along the whole ride. Thank you. Add your teen to your Uber account today. See app for details. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex-
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free at 